So, do you remember this guy? Let's put that picture up. <gasps> okay, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to actually uh, sort of give you a picture. He's, he's big, he's white, he has this like little blue hat, sailor hat, dressed like a sailor, and he marched through the streets like this in a movie from 1984. Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, yes, Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, okay? So I just recently watched a Ghostbusters movie, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, and it was actually a pretty fun movie, but I think you'd appreciate it better if you actually had seen the original. My husband and I were laughing at certain references, and we had to stop and explain it to my son because he'd never seen the original. <laughs> this movie, I felt like, was sort of like an inheritance, like for those of the 80s giving it to a new generation. It was like, remember, we had a lot of fun watching this? Here's a new version. Um, and not to give away any spoilers if you haven't seen it, but it's basically a story of a young girl who discovers her birthright. Um, she is an awkward tween who's really into science and tech, and she just doesn't seem to fit with her friends, but uh, their family inherits this old, really run-down place in the middle of nowhere, which leads to some really interesting discoveries for her. It leads her to discover her birthright and her inheritance of who she is and who she came from. And she finds out that what she's inherited bringing, is, is this a new, it brings her a new purpose. It uh, gives her new insight into her identity and helps her actually become all that she's meant to be. So have you ever uh, inherited something really, really worthwhile that changed maybe your action or the belief in who you were? What have you inherited? So today I'm starting a two-part series called Covenant and Kingdom. And these are the two main themes that sort of run throughout the whole Bible. And we'll see them time and time again, Covenant Kingdom, Covenant Kingdom. And uh, Covenant is about God inviting um, an invitation into inviting humanity into oneness with him, into a relationship with him again. And kingdom is about the responsibility that comes with that oneness. Uh, but today we're going to start with covenant, and next week we're going to work on kingdom. And so this morning we're going to focus on the birthright that helps you become all you're supposed to be. So would you turn in your Bibles to Genesis 12 first? It's 12, 1 through 3. I'm going to read Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and then uh, we're going to go into chapter 15. So Genesis 12 begins like this. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And then we jump to chapter 15, and it says, Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children... 
Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteousness because of his faith. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Father, this morning we we read your word and we come to it with expectation that we um, are inheriting something from you. That this morning, that your spirit, Holy Spirit, we invite you in um, to our minds and our hearts to do the work of transformation, that your word goes out into our, our very being and changes us, change a perspective or affirms something in us or challenges us in a way that we do not leave here in the same way we came in. So that's my prayer this morning for all of us. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so I want you to get a picture here. Um, very early on in the Bible, we meet this man named Abram, right? And he's told to leave his country, uh, his native country, and travel to a new place to form a new nation, which he does. But after a long wait, there isn't any evidence of this new nation. In fact, he and his wife are childless, and they're really, really old, like 90s to 100, right? Sorry if you're in that age category. (laughs) But God had given Abraham this this birthright, right? And he said, you would inherit this blessing, right? You get this blessing, and this blessing is going to be passed on as an inheritance to the next generation, to the next generation. But Abram said, when will this be so? It's getting sort of late, God. So God answered, bring me a heifer. Huh? Now, to me, when I read that, I was like, I feel like it's sort of like when my husband and I were singing, you know, if there's something weird in the neighborhood, who are you going to call? Thank you. He didn't know the answer. (laughs) And that's sort of how you feel when you read something like, bring me a heifer. But Abram knew exactly what this meant, right? He lived in a world where this ritual um, meant covenant, This language, bring me a heifer, was the beginning of a covenant-making process. Now, I want you to picture this. There's these two kings, or two rulers, or two chieftains, or even just two fathers, right? And they have their own tribes. They are running their own tribes. And and they're living in, you know, two sort of different areas, but sort of close together. And one of them realizes that this one is a bit stronger, has a bit more resources, and could probably do some protecting because this guy over here is not so protected and and marauding robbers usually come and try to attack him and he needs protection. So they come together and they say, can we do a covenant? Can we make a covenant together? Uh, Because what the lesser one is asking from the stronger one is, "I, I need protection, I need provisions, I need resources. 
And I'm willing to surrender sort of my role here, my identity as the chieftain or the ruler. I'm willing to surrender that and join it to you. Now, if the powerful one agrees to this, he also says, okay, this makes sense, and I'm gonna surrender my identity in such a way that the two of us will become one, will be seen as one entity. So they would set up this ritual uh, that, that signified, in a way, death. Um, and they were going to be taking on a new identity. So they take these animals, um, and they would literally butcher them and split them from their head all the way to their tail and lay them out on the sides and lay them in a row. And they call this the quarter of blood. And so you can picture this passageway and this quarter of blood that's sort of laying between them. And what would happen is, is they would stand on either end of this corridor and exchange places. So you'd walk through a quarter of blood and exchange the place with, another, with the other person. Well, this exchange was like sort of giving up your identity and exchanging it for the other. Now, the lesser one would be standing in the position of the stronger one, and the stronger one would be standing in the place of the lesser one, and they would have absorbed both their resources and their provisions and all of it together. This became their birthright. This became the inheritance that got passed down to either kingdom or to tribes or whatever. Now they had a new identity as one, and it was a birthright to everyone that lived in that kingdom. Now, Abram understands this ritual, but it also comes with a risk. Part of the covenant-making thing was a promise that was illustrated on the, the hems of their robes. So if you walk through a quarter of blood of animals, what do you think is gonna get on the bottom of your robe? Blood. It was a symbol that they were saying, see this blood on the end of my robe? Actually, this is a symbol that you get my life if I break this covenant. If I am going to break this covenant, you get to take my life. So as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. So I wanna know what was Abram thinking. All the way up to this point, humanity kept breaking any promise they had with God. They could not keep a relationship with God. They were not like following much of what he was doing. What was Abram thinking? If he's gonna walk through a quarter of blood and promise to keep a covenant and he'd forfeit his life if he broke it, what was he thinking? So scripture goes on to say, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire part with a blazing torch. Okay, so when we read something like a, a, they come up in scripture later on, but these are God's presence. They're symbols of God's presence. So a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Okay, so did you notice something? Who passed through this corridor? Who passed through? Was it both or just one? It was just God. Only God passed through this covenant. Only God passed through. God made a covenant with Abram that day. 
And the significance of that is that Abram didn't have to keep it. All he had to do was accept it. God was the one that was keeping this covenant. So it was like God saying, Abram, I am taking your identity. I am becoming one with you. I am taking everything that is yours, your name, your life, your past, your future, all your possessions, I'm taking them as mine. But I am giving you everything I have, my name, my future, my possessions, my protection, my resources. It's all yours, Abram. God is even saying, I'm committed to go through death for you if that's what it takes to provide for you, to protect you, to save you. So any light bulbs going off for you? Does this remind you of something that's coming farther on in the Bible? The theme of covenant runs throughout the Bible. It's, it's, a, it's how God demonstrates um, his steadfast love for us. It's how he it invites humanity into this oneness. And you'll see it over and over and over that God is making covenants with people to bring them into a oneness. But this covenant with Abram was pointing to a new eternal covenant that was unbreakable. So if we fast forward 2,000 years, we get Jesus. In Jesus' day, God sent Jesus to walk through this corridor of blood, not between heifers and goats and rams, but by his own body and his own blood. He walks through this corridor of of, um, blood to cut a new covenant made on a cross so that we could be joined to God forever. See, you can't do that through animals. You can't do that just on your own. God had to shed his own blood to say, I am willing to even go to death to make a covenant with you. Paul says in Galatians, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, right, inheriting this promise that would someday come through Christ. In Christ, our inheritance is that all of God's blessings, resources, and promises, his identity has been given to us, right? He's exchanged places with us. And now our past, our present, our future, all the stuff that we carry, that goes on to Jesus. He's exchanged it. It's like God standing in this larger, stronger kingdom saying, no matter who marches against you, No matter who tries to attack you, no matter what, you are joined with me forever. I consider us as one. This is our inheritance. This is our birthright. Through Jesus, we have this eternal, unbreakable covenant. So my first question to us this morning is, Have you claimed your inheritance? If not, why not? What are you waiting for? So I want to illustrate it like this. Um, Imagine that tonight you all go home and you pull up your email and there's this email from a bank you don't recognize, but it's not spam. You're like, eh, they've got enough close, so I'm I'm going to look at it, right? And you open up this email and it says this, 
Dear sir or madam, when you were just three years old, your great-great-uncle opened an account for you in the amount of $1 billion. But unfortunately, before telling you or your parents, he died in a house fire, along with all the proof that this account existed. We were just going through our records and finally tracked you down. You were supposed to inherit this money at age 10. Sorry for the delay. How would you feel? What if tonight you found out you were a billionaire? Like, a billionaire, right? I think some of us would be pretty disappointed. The older we are, the more disappointed we may be, right? You might have said, this could have changed what I did with my life. This could have changed my schooling, my training, my profession. I might have chosen something completely different. It could have alleviated so much stress over bills or like how to live or the times that you struggle. Like, I wouldn't have had to deal with that. It could have changed the way you feel about yourself. Like, I'm a billionaire, right? I would imagine that even if you inherited this pretty late in life, you'd start living differently tomorrow. Tomorrow, you'd be like, I'm a billionaire and I'm gonna start living in a different way. I'm gonna live life large. I'm never ever gonna be bored again. I'm pretty sure that my life will be exciting and I will have all kinds of adventure. Um, when my parents moved down to Florida, um, uh, I guess about 15 years ago, um, they said, oh, we're going to take you for this ride. And they took us down on this ride uh, to West Palm Beach. And you can go down like the coastal um, part of it. And uh, you ride along and there's these huge mansions. I mean, huge mansions. And they're houses for like the rich and famous. Remember that show? Again, we're dating if you're from the 80s. Um, you know, it, there's like celebrities and politicians and musicians and actors, and they live in their houses only a couple of days a year. And they've got like swimming pools, their beachfront, there's columns, there's greenery, at least what you can see through the cracks in the fence as you drive by, right? And you can just imagine what it looks like inside. Now, I want you to take that illustration and put it into a spiritual illustration, right? If you have said yes to Jesus, accepted that his identity is now yours, all of God's resources, his presence, his life, his love and forgiveness, all of that is your inheritance, and now you are spiritual billionaires, spiritual billionaires. Jesus exchanged places with you. Your past is now his. Your future is now his. Your sin is now his. Your identity is joined with him. And nothing, nothing can rob you of this inheritance. So if this were true, I am assuming that many of us would say yes, that we've claimed our inheritance, or at least we're gonna go claim our inheritance now, right? So my second question is this. Why does it seem like many of you are living like spiritual paupers or hoarders instead of as spiritual billionaires? One of the most frustrating and heartbreaking things I've been seeing lately is that most of us, and I'm including myself in this, we are acting like spiritual hoarders. We're so afraid that, that we're gonna lose something, that we've shrunken in. 
or we're living as spiritual paupers, so afraid and holding on to every last thing instead of living as spiritual billionaires. We've shrunken inside. We've, we've, instead of spending and investing our billions, we've hid it under our beds. We, we hide it away, maybe for a rainy day. And the way I see it coming out is that we just actually are bored. We're bored with God. We're bored with church. Um, we're bored with how this happens or that happens. We start complaining about this and complaining about this. We just get bored. We're like, ah, right? We get bored with our prayer life. We get bored with our uh, spending time with God. We are tired. We're run down. We're just trying to generate our own energy and sort of spend the money that's inside of us over and over. And it's, it's exhausting. We don't have it. It's, it's not even present. We're trying to live off an inheritance that we're making ourselves, and it's impossible. And so then we chase things like the economy or some political system or some superstar or some sort of thing that maybe gives us something that's a little bit more, but it, it just ends up making us worse. We've disconnected with family and friends, and we are living in spiritual scarcity instead of fruitful abundance. Now, I know that all of you here and online, you've actually made the first effort to claim your inheritance, to sort of, to, to see what this is like to spend your spiritual billions, right? But I'm not sure just being called, just showing up is what we're called to do. So I know that it's easy to get off track. I know it's super easy to get bored. Um, I've done the thing like, I've said to God, oh, by the way, you and I taking a break, spiritual vacation. It's okay, right? You know? And sometimes that spiritual vacation is a week. Sometimes it's a month. Sometimes it stretches on, and I'm like, oops, I'm so sorry. But I feel sometimes that that's what I do. I know that I can find church boring. Sometimes I'm like, oh, do I have to go there again? Right? And I'm the pastor. That's a little scary, right? But sometimes it just feels like the same old, same old. Because I'm, I'm recognizing at this point that I am, while I'm living under the covenant with Jesus, I'm not living into this covenant with Jesus. I'm not living into the fact that I have access to spiritual billions. And there's a difference. Look, I don't want to be a person that actually realizes later on in life that I had an account of spiritual billions and I never touched it. I never invested it. I never spent it. I don't want to be the person that gets in front of Jesus and he says, you had spiritual billions and you spent one dollar. It seems like a huge waste of my life. So here's our challenge. As we as individuals, right, we are individuals with spiritual billions, but we are a church of spiritual billions, right? We have all of God's access to his possessions, his, his provisions, his promises, his love, his forgiveness. We have access to that all. So as a church, do we wanna start living large? Do we want to actually step out and start to say, we are spiritual billions, let's start acting like that? Can we do that? Can we start investing our billions into others? So there's three things I want us to think about this morning um, as we go here. The first is, I want you to think about these resources. 
I want you to think about what this inheritance actually is. It's abundant mercy. It's overwhelming grace. It's this generous forgiveness that comes over and over and over again. It's his power. It's his protection. It's eternal security. It's his deep love. And it's his spirit who invites us to be one with him. That's ours. That's what, we're, that's what a spiritual billion looks like. That's our inheritance. So I want you to ask yourself, if that were true and you were understanding that and you were claiming that, how would you start spending it? Think about how many people you know, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers that don't even know that this inheritance exists. How could you change that for them? How could you bring hope to somebody who doesn't even know they had this? Spending our spiritual inheritance, demonstrating our birthright, cannot be boring anymore. Because when you join yourself to God and say, I want to live with you in this covenant, and I want to start spending these spiritual billions, God is going to start showing you how, and your life will never be boring. To be the living proof of this inheritance is worth so much more than actual real billions, right? We would probably get bored even if we had a billion dollars. But this is so much more. We have access to the resurrecting, redeeming, and powerful and eternal love through Jesus Christ. So first, think about his resources. And the second, I want you to make a plan. What if this week you just spent, you just chose one thing to do? You made a plan and you spent one thing, you spent one of your parts of your billions, right, in your inheritance. What if you began to abundantly give out mercy? Like if you have a billion, can you take 10,000 and give it out as mercy? Can you take some out and extend grace? Like you have so much access to grace, could you give it out to other people? What about the people that you've been withholding forgiveness from? Maybe it's yourself, maybe it's somebody else. Could you actually give out an immense amount of forgiveness? Of course you could because you got, wouldn't even touch what's in the bank in, compared to your spiritual millions and billions, right? What if you said to somebody, oh, by the way, I have access to this inheritance that has changed who I am. It changes the way I live. Would you like to know about it? Now, that's not boring. I'm telling you, I've been praying for this over this week. We did something in, in um, 1025 that we had to like make a plan, and I said, I'm going to share the gospel this week. Even for me, it's super scary. Like, I'm gonna share that there's an inheritance that you could have something to do with. Like, that's never gonna be boring. If you pray every morning, God, show me how to spend my inheritance, trust me, you're not gonna be bored. And then third, just do it. So I'm going to give you a few minutes before we go to communion. And um, there's going to be somebody in front of you or next to you or behind you. And I'm going to give you just 30 seconds. Maybe God said, yeah, that's you. Forgiveness. Maybe God said to you, felt like that word mercy popped up. Maybe you heard something else. Maybe it's reminding you of something else in the Gospels, what Jesus did. I want you to say, I'm going to make this plan. And I want you to turn to a person 
next to you or behind you or in front of you and say, this is my plan. This is what I'm gonna do this week. And I'm gonna give you about two minutes to do it. So I expect to hear noises. <laughs> I expect to hear conversation. If you have nobody to say it to, raise your hand. And I know this, there's prayer partners in here that will be coming up during communion. Um, if you guys, if you're a prayer partner, an elder, if you see that, you can go to a hand raise. All you have to say is, this is my plan. I'm going to spend my billion, my spiritual billions on mercy this week. That's all you have to say. So go ahead and talk amongst yourselves. 